the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Arnie Duncan, the former Secretary of Education in the Obama administration and currently Managing Director of Chicago Cred, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer WNYM in New York City. If I were to ask you to think of a major U.S. city that has an epidemic of gun violence, what city would come to mind? For many, it would be Chicago. But what are the reasons for that? And what can be done to see that it is reduced significantly and quickly? For the answer to those questions, it's a pleasure to have with us tonight Arnie Duncan, the Secretary of Education under President Obama and currently the Managing Director of Chicago CRED, which stands for Creating Real Economic Destiny. Good evening, Arnie, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening, Denver. Thanks so much for having me. Let me begin with the question I posed in the opening. Chicago has more killings and shootings than New York City and Los Angeles combined. What is that? Why is that the case? Well, that, that is the heartbreaking reality. That's the brutal truth. And it's basically um, the, the issue I'm obsessed with trying to help get the city to a better place. That there's a multitude of reasons that we could you know, take the whole show talking about. There's been massive disinvestment uh, in these communities. There's been a lack of awareness of how much uh, people can do good work and, and be productive citizens. There's been a lack of commitment to helping people redeem themselves and give them a second chance. Um, but rather than point fingers or lay blame or talk about the history, I'm much more interested in talking about how we take Chicago to a very, very different place. And we started our work, and we can get into it, in 2016, which was, a, unfortunately, a really low point of, a, to your point, an epidemic, a crisis of, of gun violence. And we saw a 15% reduction in 2017. We saw a 15% reduction in 2018. We're tracking at about a 10% reduction so far halfway through this year. So we're making progress, but we have a long, long way to go until children in our, our communities on the south and west sides can, can grow up safe and free of fear and free of trauma. Yeah. If I can, though, I'd just like to ground the listeners a little bit in terms of the, the problem and the scope and size of the problem. I've heard you, Arnie, talk about clear rate. What is that? Yeah, it, it's, it's a hugely important number. So clear rate is basically the percent of crimes that get solved. And um, I don't have the 2018 numbers, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but for 2017, the clear rate for homicides was only 17 percent. Oh, wow. So literally, if you kill someone, you had an 83 percent chance of getting away with murder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you shot someone and didn't kill them, that had maybe a you know, 4 or 5 percent clear rate. So you have a you know, 90, 94, 95 percent chance of getting away with shooting someone. And I want to be clear, we work with amazing, amazing individual police officers. Yeah. But at the macro level, trust between the community and the police is basically broken. And our clear rate, most cities are like 50, 60, 70 percent for homicide. So we are so much lower. And um, what it leads to is a sense of lawlessness. And we have many young men who are carrying guns not to shoot other people. We call it plain defense. They're carrying it to protect themselves because they don't feel safe. And so it's a, you know over the long haul, the 
police have to uh, police have to rebuild trust with the community. We're trying to help there. But the interim, we're just trying to give the young men a sense of hope and a reason to put down the guns. Mm-hmm. Well, these young men you're talking about, many of them are between 17 and 24 years of age. I mean, do you have any idea what it would take uh, to move those young men from the illegal economy, where many of them are residing right now, to the legal economy? Well, that's sort of exactly what we we've, we do and what we've been doing for almost three years now. So we do a number of different things. Um, we help guys with hard and soft skills. Um, we help them with trauma uh, care. We help them with, with therapy. Um, we help with substance abuse. We've had many, many guys get their high school diplomas. We're going to have another graduation ceremony uh, coming up the next month. Um, many guys write their autobiographies that are really, really powerful wow. and moving and emotional. Um, maybe the most important thing we do is we match guys up with life coaches. We have amazing guys, many of whom have, have you know been through a lot and done some things that have come out the other side and really want to give back and help the community to be restored and to help the community heal and, and thrive. Um, the, the men work with us for you know, generally a, about a, a year, and then we um, spend them off into the legal economy. And we have you know many employers who are hiring at the back end. We have guys, one guy sort of just celebrated recently his, his year anniversary working at Deloitte, which is a conservative accounting firm, which yes, is amazing. Yes. We have guys working at law firms. We have guys working in culinary and hospitality and in manufacturing and construction. And um, these are amazing young men who have been through a lot and want something better for themselves. They want something better for their, their, their children. Um, many have always been leaders. They're just leading in a positive direction now. And I say all the time that I really, truly, truly believe this, that the men we work with, um, they are the solution. Mm. They're not the problem. And they're gonna lead, they are leading Chicago to a safer place. Um, the police just last week came out with a report that violence is at a four-year four low in Chicago. So the progress is real. But again, um, we have so far to go. And I always, the numbers, I always talk about New York and L.A. and just trying to get, you know, much, much closer to their levels of violence and not be so wildly disproportionately high compared to those other major cities. Yeah, you don't want to be abnormal. You know, you said an interesting uh, thing a moment ago, and that is a lot of these guys are carrying guns but they're doing so to play defense. Uh, how many active shooters, if I can call them that, are in Chicago? Yeah, no, you're asking all the, you're asking all the right questions. And there's, to your point, and again, it's maybe a little hard for some of your listeners to understand or comprehend, but there, there are far too many people carrying weapons, mm-hmm. but there are actually not many active shooters. And the police estimate around 1,500. You know, I, I, my thought is it's probably a little higher, but, you know, call it 2,000, call it even 3,000. It is not a massive number, Denver. And Something we can, the city of Chicago you know, if, can do. If we can't wrap arms around this, and we, we started with 30 young men in September of 2016 with our community partners across the city. We're now working with closer to 500 young men. Um, we are not to a critical mass yet, but if we can get to, from 500 to 1,000 and then 1,000 to 2,000 and maybe a little bit more, I am convinced that we would see a precipitous decline in, in violence. We would see a real, a real tipping point. And so this work is, is hard. It's heartbreaking some days. It's also unbelievably inspiring. But ultimately, I'm really, really hopeful. And we just have to continue to scale. And if people say, oh, it's so great you're giving, giving these guys a second chance, and I really actually reject that in the vast majority of cases. I think for, the, for the, almost all of our guys, we're giving them a first chance. Yeah, I think you're right. And basically, mm-hmm. every structure in their life 
previously, their family, their families, the schools, the churches, the nonprofits, um, we all failed them. We mm-hmm. weren't present, and they, you know, had some very, very difficult situations, and they made a rational choice at age 12 or 13 or 14 to go, you know, work with the gangs because they were that desperate, and there was no other option. Yeah. All we're, all we're doing is providing a second option for guys now. No one's mandated. No one has to work with us. And we basically have a waiting list of guys everywhere we go in every neighborhood. Um, they are just making another rational choice that they would have loved to have had at an earlier stage in their life. Are a lot of these guys getting tired as this uh, incidence of violence has spiked to the degree that it has? I mean, that's a tough way to make a, a living, if I can call it, it that way. It, and it's probably it, not well, that it, great a living either. It, it's not. That's, again, there's so many myths, there's so many stereotypes. So we often start with guys at around you know, $12, $13 an hour once they come through our. We have amazing street outreach teams that, that, that bring guys in. And, um, and for many guys, that's actually a pay increase. And mm. you're, you're, you really get, they're on the street, they're getting shot at, they're losing friends, the police are chasing them, and they're making peanuts. And that's for me is from a societal, from a policy standpoint, that breaks my heart that we're so happy to you know, lock people up at you know, $60,000 a year at Cook County Jail. You know, uh, every homicide costs the city $1.4 million, but somehow we're reluctant to pay a guy a, a minimum wage and, you know, pay, you know, provide some wraparound services some some trauma care, a life coach. You know, just from a financial standpoint, it's so much cheaper, so much more effective. And then you think about just from a from a human, <laughs> a human, a humanity standpoint and, and the, the lost potential if we don't do this. Um, what we're really trying to demonstrate is this is an amazing investment in our men, in our communities, in our city. And the other way, by any measure, simply isn't working. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to be smart about this, but, you know, in doing that, you probably developed some pretty good job skills in, in terms of selling and distributing. You, you, you and, know, uh, I mean, there is, there are, I mean, there are, again, we have a, many natural-born leaders. Yeah. And, yes, there are things in the street economy, you know, customer service, customer, customer service supply chain. Very important. All <laughs> yes. kinds of stuff that for you to be successful there, those skills are transferable. But the biggest thing for me is that for people to understand is how smart these guys are. Yeah how committed they are, how resilient. They've been through things that for you and I and for most of us are just unimaginable. And they are tired of it, and they want something better, and they want something better for their, for their own kids. Mm-hmm. And many of them didn't have fathers in their lives. And one of the things that gives me the most joy is watching how attentive they are as, as dads and how hard they're working to, to break those cycles of, of absent fatherhood. And um, they, they want better. They've been through so much. And I say to our employers, I don't want your charity. Don't hire for charity. Hire for great employees. Yeah. Hire for people who have real heart and a real commitment to doing something better. And yes, it may be a different, you know, uh, a different pool of candidates <laughs> than you're used to, but it's in a pool of extraordinary candidates. And our guy um, working at Deloitte, you know, he has made Deloitte better. Mm-hmm. He has made Deloitte better. And. They, yeah, they maybe took a little bit of a risk with us, but they interviewed and interviewed a set of guys, and that was the best fit. And Deloitte, the, their CEO, came back to me a couple of weeks ago and says, I want another guy. You know, yeah. we're ready. And that just is like, it's just music to my ears. And if, again, if a conservative accounting firm is willing to do that, then every other employer, you know, it needs to just step up and think about what can they do to, to help out and be part of the solution. Well, we'll speak a little bit more about that. What has been the response of the business community, both the good and maybe the not so good? Yeah, the business community has been extremely responsive, and I'm very grateful that the challenge, uh, Denver, as we go forward, is as our numbers grow, 
we need more and more employers to step up. And again, in a place as, as vibrant, you know, economically as Chicago, um, that, that, that needs to be able to happen. And I always wonder, like, when, you know, when there's a shooting, when there's something, they, they put the police chief on TV and sort of say, what are you doing about it? And yes, the police have a role to play in. Yes, the police are absolutely struggling. And we, we're, we are clear about that. But I wish they would also ask every CEO, what are you doing about it? Hmm. You know, and we have to all be in this together. And no, you know, this is a complicated problem. It took years to get to this terrible place. It's going to take us some years to dig out. But everybody has to have a piece of this. So getting more employers to step up is hugely important. We're actually starting a social enterprise, a contract manufacturing firm. Hopefully, literally in the next two months, they'll provide another set of jobs. And we just have to... You know, we have to create, you know, continue to create economic opportunity, not just downtown, but in these, de- in these neighborhoods that have had this devastating level of disinvestment and where there isn't, you know, where there aren't job opportunities in the legal and the traditional economy, people are going to find other ways. Yeah. And we have to, again, provide some, some concrete options. And the overwhelming majority of guys, the vast majority of guys would much, much prefer to be doing something positive. I bet. I bet. Uh, you really do address this in a very holistic way, and I want to touch again on those wraparound services. And you certainly, you know, these guys have been through a lot of trauma, and a job is never going to be enough. And I know you do some things around substance abuse and getting the GED, but the thing you mentioned before um, I wanted to pick up on were these life coaches. Uh, speak a little bit about who these guys are. Yeah, these uh, coaches are just extraordinary. We again, first we have a we have street outreach teams that just do unbelievable work. You know, meeting you know meeting guys where they are, you know, on the blocks, in the neighborhoods, on the corners, and talking to them about this and asking them if they want to change, and then bring them in. And um, the, the life coaches, we have a, we have some you know folks with more sort of like traditional social work backgrounds or whatever. But honestly, many of our guys are guys who had been through a lot themselves, and mm-hmm. can at least some of whom have homicides in their backgrounds and who went away for you know 15, 20, 25 years, and um, you know made some mistakes when they were you know young and have paid you know a, a huge price for it, and they're back. Not so much to redeem themselves, although it's sort of part of it, but to, to break to break these cycles. And what they they are literally saving, our, like literally, I'm not not figuring, literally saving our our young guys' lives. Mm-hmm. And what they always say is like experience is the best teacher, but you don't. It doesn't have to be your own experience. Yeah, <laughs> like <right>. learn learn <laughs> learn from their experiences and the amount of years that they gave up, um, the the amount of freedom they gave up. Like they say, you don't have to do that. You know, there's a there's a better way, and, and just take take from us, mm-hmm. learn from us, take from our experiences, take from our lessons, the good and the bad, take our wisdom, and and let's let's bypass that chapter. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. bypass that heartbreak. Let's let's bypass that repeated trauma. Right. And the impact they're having, not just you know during the day, but at two in the morning when they get a call, it's um it's amazing. And mm-hmm. of all the stuff we do. I would argue that that might be the most that might be the most important piece. Yeah, because coming from some other person, that would be preaching, but coming from those guys, it really is wisdom. They have total credibility. Yeah. They lived it. Many of our young men don't have fathers. These are father figures. Mm-hmm. You know, not not fathers, but father figures. Yeah. And to see the bonds, to see those connections, to see our our young guys talk about, you know, how much these positive role models mean for, to them and for them. How much they genuinely care. Um, it, it's 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 uh, it's really emotional to be honest. It's very very emotional. It's very moving. 
Talk a little bit about the cost-benefit analysis of a program like this. Certainly on the front end, you have to uh, identify these guys, put them through the program, do the wraparound, as you mentioned, get them a job. But, boy, yeah. I would imagine on the back end there's some pretty uh, it, it, big it, savings it, it's to it's society. All yeah. It's all upside. So, again, just to repeat, the, the literal cost of every homicide is about $1.4 million to the city. The, the amount of you know, business our city loses because of the reputation you talked about. You know, we used to be the city of Michael Jordan. You yep. know, now we're the city of homicides. Mm-hmm. And for those of us that grew up here and where the city gave us everything, it, it, it just it breaks your heart. Um, you know, the cost of incarceration is, you know, 55, 60, 65, if not more. And, you know, uh, what we're doing is sort of uh, half of that. <laughs> and, again, that's for a year. And after that, you spin off and you're working at a real job and you're paying taxes and you're a productive citizen. So we're doing this all basically philanthropically. Mm-hmm. Um, we need the city to invest. We need the state to invest. We're working hard. We have a new mayor and a new governor and hoping they will you know, step in to get to kind of scale we, you know, we talked about of a couple thousand guys. We can't do that all philanthropically. Um, we have been blessed at Chicago Credit to have an amazing partner in Emerson Collective. That, tell, tell us a little bit about Emerson Collective. Yeah, Lorraine Powell and the team has just been amazing, amazing partners who are helping to fund our work. They're helping to match other funds that are raised citywide and just sort of stepping into a, a gap and saying this is a huge need. And so going forward, if we can have a partnership of you know, state resources coming in, uh, city resources, as well as the continued support of philanthropy, and then the, and then the jobs from the civic, you know, community, the business community. That's the kind of partnership. It's easier said than done, yeah. and it's everyone taking some risk and moving outside their comfort zones. But if we're expecting the police to solve this, they can't solve this by themselves. And if we are, you know, if we see the status quo is unacceptable, which which I absolutely do, um, then we have to we have to work harder. And the thing I always say, Denver, is I just want to give our kids our childhood, their childhoods back. Mm-hmm. And our kids, you know, I grew up playing basketball all over Chicago, yeah. South West Sides. Kids can't play outside anymore. Um, every I'm in schools all the time. Literally every single year, I always ask how many know someone who's been shot. Literally every hand goes up every single time. And then I often ask how many of you know five or ten or fifteen people have been shot. And often a half to a third of the hands are still in the air. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've never visited a little war yeah. zone. I've never been to Iraq or Afghanistan. But our kids on the south and west sides of Chicago are growing up in actual war zones. Mm-hmm. And we've raised, we've raised a generation of children on, on gun violence yeah. and robbed them of their childhoods. So that's, that's all I want to do is give kids their childhoods back, give them a chance to, to dream, to play, to think long term and not just try to survive every single day. Yeah, I heard a, a really sad story along those lines. Maybe it was from you and uh, preparing for this or someplace else, but a, a girl said that she would uh, sit at home and watch kids playing on YouTube because she yep, couldn't go and a, play that outside. Was a, that was a seventh grader in uh, North in, uh, in Austin that I yeah, spent time with her, wow. her, her group um, right before school year ended. It was, it was devastating, and that's... That's, again, it's important for your readers, your, your, sorry, your listeners to understand that's her reality. She can't play outside, so she watches YouTube videos of other kids playing outside. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it broke my heart. Yeah. It broke my heart. Yeah. Well, you're in, uh, into continuous learning, having been a former Secretary of Education. How have you tweaked uh, the model, Arnie, since you uh, started? Yeah, no, we're learning every single day. I'm making big mistakes every day and still making big mistakes. So it's uh, it's nothing if not humbling. But what I always say is we're working with men, not boys. We are co-creating, co-designing every mm-hmm. single day. 
And I always, you know, if, if we're helping them, great. And if we're not helping them, then we're wasting their time. And I have no interest in doing that. So we are literally on a, you know, daily, weekly basis, you know, making tweaks, changing things. Big picture, what have we added? We have um, we've built these outreach teams, so she didn't have it first, just to try and get to more guys. And for me, it's not, I love the individual transformation. I love what we're doing to change lives. But we're actually trying to really reduce violence at the, at the neighborhood level. Mm-hmm. You know, there's got to be community violence suppression or reduction. So the outreach teams have been, um, have been fantastic. Thinking about sort of a continuum of, of jobs over time, and for many of, our, many of our guys have literally sort of never, never held a traditional job. So how do you learn those skills? How do you handle conflict? How do we have sort of a, a ladder of opportunity um, before guys are placed sort of full-time uh, you know, for the long haul? And then obviously the social enterprise is honestly our, uh, our impatience, that we mm-hmm. just need more jobs faster. And so we're just going to start to create our own jobs and do it in the neighborhoods and hopefully demonstrate what's possible. And we'll start with you know, 10 or 15 guys. But if it goes well, and that's a big if, and, um, but we could get up to you know, 150, 200 guys working, and that would be amazing. And I would hope if that works, then other people would follow our lead. So that the learning is constant, the learning is continual, and our best teachers are um, are the men, the young men we're working with. Yeah, working in low-income communities and providing opportunities for young people is something you've been doing pretty much well since you were born. Tell us about your mother and the influence that she had on you. Yeah, we had um, we didn't sort of realize it. It was all we knew, but we had this very unique uh, upbringing where we grew up in middle-class Hyde Park, uh, middle-class integrated Hyde Park. My dad was a professor at the University of Chicago for, for 40 years, and my mother in 1961, I was born in 1964, mm-hmm. and my sister and brother after me, started an inner-city tutoring program, and it's just interesting that, that segregation in Chicago, Denver, it was literally less than two miles from our house, like we, we would actually walk some days there, mm-hmm. but it was across sort of the invisible barrier of 47th Street, which was between middle-class integrated Hyde Park and all-black, all-poor North Kenwood, Oakland. So she raised all of us there. So we were going to her after-school program long before we ever went to a real school. And it was just this formative experience. We, we all have tried to follow in her footsteps in various ways. Um, she did the work for about 52 years until her health gave out. Unfortunately, she has Alzheimer's now. Mm-hmm. But her her courage, the, the, the difference she made in young people's lives, um, was extraordinary. I, I took a year off from college to work with her full time and just try and figure out was this just a piece of who I was or was this actually who I was? Yes. <laughs> and decided during that year I didn't quite know how and, you know, I had no idea the twists and turns my life would take, but that I wanted to, to, to continue her work. And what we basically saw all our lives were, were young kids who happened to all be poor, who happened to often have very tough family situations who lived in a pretty, you know, violent neighborhood, community. But many went on to do extraordinary things because my mother and others were, were in their life and, you know, huge amount of love and high expectations and support. And so I know what's possible when mm-hmm. we give kids a chance. And it's not some theory for me. It's not some academic study. It's just it's a, a lived experience, as you said, from birth. So that's um, that's both my hope, but also my impatience and my frustration is that there's so many, you know, kids and now young men that we're not reaching, and that's not their fault. That's our fault. Yeah, that's yeah. our fault. And we got to get to them. We got to get to more. And we got to get to them faster. And we got to be more effective in our support for them. Yeah, this is really in your DNA. Well, let me close with this, Arnie. I know that the epidemic of gun violence in Chicago 
is more than some big challenge for you to, to see that it's met. It's about individual lives, and each and every one of them has a very personal and distinct story associated with that life. Share one of those stories with us, if you would. Well, I'll tell you, I have so many crazy stories, but I'll, we talked about life coaches, and um, I, I, I said that you know our, our life coaches may be the most important piece of, 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 what, we, of what we do. Um, and one of our best life coaches, if not our, the best life coach, is a guy named Billy Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Moore, 34 years ago, uh, unfortunately and tragically uh, killed one of my friends, uh, a basketball player named Ben Wilson, who was not the best basketball player in Chicago, but was the number one player in the country. And I hated Billy Moore. I didn't know him. I hated Billy Moore all my life. Yeah. And met him literally on a peace march a couple years ago. Um, we talked. I had he spent 20 years uh, locked away. Um, he talked about the incident. Talked about what actually happened. Um, I saw his heart. I saw his commitment. And he is doing an unbelievable job as a life coach. So a guy who I hated for 30 plus years is an invaluable member of our team. Um, very tragically, his son was, was shot, was killed 16, mm-hmm. 16 times last summer. And what Billy says is if the young man who killed his son came into his program, he would mentor him and take him under his wing. And that he can't ask for redemption, he can't ask for forgiveness if he can't also give that. And so these stories, you know, I get chills even thinking about it. And if I lost my son or daughter, I can't say I would you know, be able to, to show that kind of forgiveness. But that's the world we live in, and the Billy Moores of the world are going to uh, are going to lead us where we need to go. Yeah, that's an incredible story to end on. Well, Arnie Duncan, the former Secretary of Education and Managing Director of Chicago Cred, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. For those who want to learn more about the organization and your program, tell us about your website and the info you have there. Yeah, just uh, we're just Chicago Cred, C-R-E-D. It stands for Creating Real Economic Destiny, and would welcome people to uh, check out our website. We're actually redoing it and upgrading it, but you can see what we have now, and it'll be it'll be better soon. And um, just appreciate the opportunity to to let your audience know um, again just the, the heart and the humanity of the young men that we're working with. Well, thanks, Arnie. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. All right, have a good evening. Take care now. Okay. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.